Welcome to Be With Champions. I'm your host, Greg Bennett. And today I have a wonderful chat with Cliff English, a former coach to Hunter Kemper, Timothy O'Donnell, Josh Amberger, Matt Reed, Sarah Haskins, Sam McGlone, and Heather Jackson. And the list just keeps going on and on and on. He was also the USA Triathlon head coach for a while, and, and now he's the Arizona State University head triathlon coach. And this team that he's coaching have won four consecutive national titles. And on top of that, the whole team have an average GPA of 3.92, which is quite incredible academically. We discussed Cliff's uh, coaching influences and his style of coaching and just so much great advice in this one. I hope you really enjoy it. I, I, I took so much out of it myself. And But before we go on, um, you'd be doing me a huge favor if you could subscribe. So please subscribe and share if you would. Um, and also, if you can just give me any feedback, I really appreciate that. I'm trying to make this show better for you and uh, your feedback would really help me out. You can do that either, you know, direct um, on Instagram. I'm Greg Bennett World on Twitter, Greg Bennett One. And you can just send me messages there and I'll get back to you on those. I'm also on Facebook and LinkedIn as Greg Bennett. Um, and you can give me some reviews or feedback on iTunes as well. I really, I do read those, but I just can't get back to you with that. And finally, um, if you go to bennettendurance.com forward slash media, there you can find the show notes, the timestamps, uh, coupon codes, and the links. So that's bennettendurance.com forward slash media. All right. Thanks so much for listening. Before we start, I've got to give a quick shout out to the brands that make this show possible. The only brands I'm working with are brands that provide products that I use daily and truly believe in. These products support my immunity, they help improve my recovery and my focus. First up, my friends at Athletic Greens. I love this company and I love their all-in-one daily drink. It's become a part of my morning routine. I'm heavily focused on supporting my immunity and boosting my energy and, and helping my gut health, but I want to do it naturally. And I found that support with Athletic Greens, a whole food sourced green drink that tastes great and there's no hassle. It's delivered straight to your door. And it's a highly absorbable powder that takes seconds to mix with water, so there's no clumpiness to deal with. I can't believe a green drink sourced from Whole Foods can actually taste so good. Personally, I truly love it. It's developed from a complex blend of 75 vitamins and minerals. It's packed with aptogens for recovery, probiotics and digestive enzymes for gut health, and vitamin C and zinc citrate for immune support. So Athletic Greens is designed to help fill the nutritional gaps in your diet. And there's a great offer going on now for you to give it a try. Simply go to athleticgreens.com forward slash Greg to claim our special offer of 20 free tra daily travel packets with your first order. $79 added value. And get Athletic Greens delivered straight to your door. Again, that's athleticgreens.com forward slash Greg. This show is also brought to you by my friends at Hyperice. Some of these products I've been using for almost a decade. Makers of the award-winning Hypervolt the world's most powerful percussion massage device featuring quiet glide technology. Hyperice is a wellness tech company that makes devices designed to help you move better. From handheld massage devices to vibrating foam rollers, thermal technology, and the Normatec compression systems, Hyperice helps you warm up faster, recover quicker, and simply move better. Used in professional training rooms throughout the NBA, the NFL, MLB, the MLS, Ironman, and other professional organizations for well over a decade, designed to help improve circulation, flexibility, and relieve tension. Get $50 off all percussion devices now, no code needed, and get an additional 10% off with code GREG10 at hyperice.com. 
That's hyperice.com, H-Y-P-E-R-I-C-E.com and use code GREG10 for 10% off. All right, today's guest is one of the greatest endurance coaches in the world. He's coached numerous amateur and professionals from short course to Ironman to world titles and world championship medals and some of the biggest prize purse wins available. His professional athletes have won 278 races, and that includes 57 wins at Ironman 70.3s and 23 full Ironmans. He's a former USA triathlon head coach and now the head coach for the Arizona State University Sun Devil triathlon team. And the Sun Devils have won the Collegiate Triathlon National Championship for the last four years since he started working with them. He's been a good friend of mine for almost 20 years. And I'm just excited to have on the show one of the greatest coaching minds over the endurance sporting world. So welcome and thanks for joining me on Be With Champions, Cliff English. How are you, mate? I'm doing great, Greg. Thank you so much for having me and thank you so much for the introduction. Oh, you're more than welcome, mate. It's been a it's been a little while, I think, since we we caught up in person. I think um, I think the longest we, we we sat at right after the London Olympic Games. I remember sitting with you at the the Hilton at Paddington Station there, just sitting in the lobby with you and Andrew Johns. You remember that? Oh, I sure do. And then you're absolutely right. That is a, probably the last time. It's amazing how the sport you know takes us in many different directions. And even though we probably only live a few states away, but you're absolutely right. 2012. <laughs> Right after uh, the, I think it was after the men's race as well, just having a good chit chat. And I think we went into the wee hours. Yeah, it was it was absolutely fantastic. And anybody that sort of experienced any of this kind of Olympic, I think we all get kind of exhausted by the end of it. And it was nice just to sit with a couple of mates and let it all just just sit. So I've been excited to have you on, you know, especially as I had um, a number of your athletes that you've worked with, including Hunter Kemper and Timothy O'Donnell on the show. And both of them sang your praises, you know, during their episodes. So it was always like, uh, you know, I was very excited when you said, yes, you'd come on um, and, and join me for a chat because I've seen the work that you've done. And what I mean by that is I felt it firsthand. For a number of the athletes that you worked with, before working with them, I always felt like I had their measure. And then suddenly something would happen the next season or the season after where I'm racing Matt Reed or Hunter Kemper or T.O., like I mentioned, or Josh Amberger. And, and suddenly they were like next level. You know what I mean? I, I, I was either maybe I was still able to beat them, maybe, but otherwise they were destroying me. But they were definitely different athletes. And, and I also watched it with the women because, you know, obviously I was watching my wife Laura race and suddenly – you know, women like Sarah Haskins, Lauren Goss, Rebecca Wozner, Lauren Wozner, and of course, Sam McGlone. Just, I, I've seen the effect that you've had on so many athletes and I felt it firsthand. Um, so I'm really excited to have you on the show, mate. I really appreciate it. Oh, of course. Um, I'm excited to, uh, you know, just have a good chat and get into all the nitty gritty of coaching. And, you know, you're right. It's this interesting, man, I... I guess uh, we were just earlier chatting about how older, older, older we are. I guess it's all relative, but uh, <laughs> it's amazing when you've been in the sport a long time. You know, I, I never would have thought. You know, even looking back, like wow, you know, you're just doing your job. You know, that's what you do as a coach, and um, and you're right. You know, just hearing some of those names, and and there's been so many people that I work with, and just been very fortunate to you know work with many different athletes. Whether you know starting developing them. Uh, in some cases, and in other other times, you know, getting athletes at different phases of their career, and and uh, it's it's you know just been a wonderful journey for me too, uh, to a certain degree. And it's it's cool to hear you say that as well. And I think maybe maybe unfortunately for you, you know, us being friends, um, I'm a 
I guess one of my strengths, I'd say, as a coach is I, I love to observe. You know, I'm someone that's just very open. I feel like I've learned so much from all the different athletes I've been exposed to, you know, and even in my earlier days, you know, I know you and I sat down way back, I think in 2002 for coffee in Victoria, you know, and I, and I learned so much even from, you know, that opportunity. And then some of the athletes I've, you know, had the, the privilege of working with, you know, little bits of helping out Simon here and there. And then even, you know, with Peter Reed back in the day, you, you learn a lot from them. And at the same time, you know, you also, you know, you're there to teach them something or maybe show them something different or, or a perspective. I've always been, I guess, more of a tinkerer when it comes to my coaching style. But at the same time, you know, I love that whole aspect of knowing your opponent. So of course, you know, I'd go in races with say a young Josh, Josh Amberger or Tim O'Donnell. I'm like, Hey, here's what you need to know about Greg. (laughs) (laughs) You bastard. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, that's, that's like, of course. I love that recon aspect of it. You know, you're looking at a start list and you're going like, okay, cool. You know, and then Oh, I know I've heard some, you know, rumors, you know, this person might not be a hundred percent. You were always tough though. You know, I remember, you know, being in Phuket many a time and we, we kind of knew your tendencies. If you downplayed your chances, you're like, Oh, Benno's going really well. <laughs> <laughs> Mate, that wasn't, I think, uh, like people that have listened to this show recognize it. I, I did struggle a lot with, with confidence and it was, uh, I, I think there wasn't, you know, I did almost talk myself out of races sometimes. And then I look back and go, oh man, if I only, only I was a little bit more confident. But it, it was surprising how many times, you know, I would talk to people, oh, I don't, I'm not sure if I'm ready. Yeah. I think I was pretty hard on myself more than anything. I, I always wanted more and, and I never felt like I was quite there. And then the gun would go and suddenly I go, actually, no, I am. I am okay. I'll be right. <laughs> you know, well, but what, what's surprising? You, you mentioned Victoria, Canada. And I've had our good friend Joel Filio on the show who's doing incredible things in the ITU world right now. It's amazing that you both, almost at the exact same time, come out of Victoria, Canada, um, both Canadians, to both be regarded as two of the very, very best endurance coaches in the world. What was in the water up there at that time? (laughs) Yeah, you know, it's interesting. When we both... Joel and I, um, you know, we're kind of locked, I I guess, in in, uh, a long rivalry we were both you know coaching uh athletes at the time that were you know leading up towards athens and um you know that was my first olympic athlete with uh, samantha mcglone and yeah you know you, you definitely over the years there was there were some other coaches out there as well but yeah him and i certainly were coming up around the same time and a lot of similar experiences and found ourselves in victoria at that time and found ourselves at the national coaching institute um you know studying as well and and uh it's been amazing to see, yeah, like you said, I mean, it, Joel is in, you know, if not the most successful ITU coach right now, and it's uh, really happy for him. And, and uh, you know, I think some of those things that they, they push you as well. I think in our earlier days, we certainly went from, you know, at times we're, we're probably really good friends and at times and we're really in direct competition. And it's, mm-hmm. you know, same with some of the other Victoria coaches like Lance Watson, you know, back in the day where we it's interesting now because you know we'll bump into each other and having a beer and like man you know back in those days you know sometimes we were besties and sometimes you know we were real big rivals you know and and but it's you know i think when you have been in a long time you're able to reflect and you're just like hey it's all good you know we're we're all we're all friends here and you know we've we've done amazing things as coaches and 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 i don't think many of us are done yet either so it's it's quite exciting not at all. It's just getting started, isn't it? I mean, yeah. I mean, you talk about it like that. I mean, it's much the same as all of us athletes. You know, we're we're friends, but we're competitors almost first. And then when we retire, we're like, oh, 
I really like that guy. I get along with him so well. You know, it's like I, I have several guys that I've raced at, raced with against over the years that I was almost like I created this kind of. I wouldn't call it a hate. Chris McCormack might, but I, I would call it more. Uh, you know, there's very much. I really want to try and destroy them. And uh, you know, I just had Vincent Lewis on um, after winning his second world title, and he said, "Yeah, I was for me, it was like a boxing game." You know, he said they're either trying to beat me up or I'm trying to beat them up, and 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 so of course I'm, you know, I'm angry when I'm out there. I'm, I'm full of you know this angst, and uh, and then you kind of you walk away from the race course and and uh, take a breather, and you go, "Huh, actually, <laughs> it's not all that." So, look, I, what I'd like to do for listeners that don't maybe know you and things, let, let's start with winding the clock right back. And just tell me, when did you get into endurance sport? Um, I got in pretty young age, personally, um, cycling, actually. Growing up in Montreal, Canada, I had the opportunity to ride at the velodrome. So we still, it, it doesn't exist anymore at the old Olympic site from the 77, oh, sorry, 76 games, but it was a beautiful uh, bamboo track, indoor track, 333 and a third uh, meters. And as a 16, 17-year-old, I had a couple of seasons on the velodrome. And it was interesting. I, I, I guess very typical North American upbringing. You know, we played hockey, uh, of course, coming from Montreal, Canada. And, you know, in high school, you know, it's basically a lot of team sports. You know, we, you know, not like, I guess, you know, in some, like in your country, Greg, like in Australia, and I know there's a lot of surf lifesaving and a lot of those other sports. We didn't really have that. And I didn't turn out to be very good i guess at some of the team sports and at one point i, I kind of joke about it but it's it was a pretty pivotal moment for me i think it was in grade nine uh and the uh, physical education teacher took me aside and was like hey you know not everyone's cut out to be athletic uh why don't you join band and um that, that was, <laughs> i know right it was it was pretty wild and and really interesting to me too you know and and so anyways to, to kind of put that in perspective a little on what it meant to me gonna probably jump around a little bit in time but that's why my philosophy and, and I guess how I even see it as, as a coach is like everyone has and should have the opportunity to good coaching and everyone should have the opportunity to, to participate, you know, and that's something, you know, you, we'll probably get into a little later. But that that for me was really, you know, quite impactful. Um, it did lead to having some real motivation. We already mentioned the word anger. And I certainly when I found cycling, you know, which wasn't something that was done in high school at all, I had to basically take a bus and, and a metro all the way out to the Olympic Stadium in Montreal. And that would be about an hour and a half one way for me as a, as a young 16 year old. But I, I went one day, saw the velodrome was like, I want to do this. And um, that's how I got into cycling. And yeah. um, I guess by the time I was 17, I was in the sport pretty short time, but I was selected to race in a tour of Bitsubi, which is one of the, you know, and it, it, even in the world, it's actually one of the larger UCI junior races. Uh, one of the, the years I did it in 1989, Bobby Julik won. And it was just a huge opportunity to do the stage race week long. And um, yeah, that was, that was definitely, I guess, a highlight of a very young career. And then I ended up um, getting a contract to ride on a team in France and, and uh, literally quit school and turned 18 when I was over in France. And um, you know, had my eyes open, uh, you know, really the, you know, you come from Canada where I think in, you know, it's kind of like a top five in the country had done pretty well, uh, as a junior. And then, uh, you go over there and it's like, oh, wow, yeah, no, it's really competitive. So, um, you know, for me, you know, very eye opening, but at the same time, I learned a lot about myself, raced my butt off for about six months and 
kind of came home with the tail between the legs. <laughs> I think I had mono as well. And, you know, just got really my, my first taste of, you know, really being overreached. And, um, you know, I went back to school and, and it actually started getting a triathlon. It was something got kind of hooked on it. And this was literally, I'd done a duathlon, I think in 89. And, you know, then 1990, I just was like, Hey, you know, I think a little burned out from cycling, being told what to do and what races you need to do. I, I kind of want to just pick and choose what I want to do. And triathlon uh, allowed me to do that. And, um, I was much more talented cyclist, I think, than I <laughs> ever, I was pretty much beating my head against the wall for years, you know, to, with the run side and the swim side. And, um, you know, had a few few results, but uh, you know, I, I I think I've turned out to be a much better coach to a certain degree. But that uh, that voyage, you know, of having to learn, you know, I was pretty much self coached for quite a few years as well, and so you know, you really became like a student. And so I was doing all my coaching credentials to try to learn as much as I can, and I was you know reading as many books and you know pretty much everything in you know cycling and and well, obviously I, I knew that sport pretty well, but definitely in swimming and and uh, you know that kind of pushed me to. I think I'm like in Canada, I was like a level three swim coach. So you, you try to look at all similar to what an athlete would sometimes focus on, right? It's like, I know there's differing mm. thoughts, but some people are like, hey, work on your strengths and some people, you know, work on your your limiters, you know, and that was something that I, I really took, I guess, to heart and was like, hey, how, how do I make myself the most well-rounded and knowledgeable at that point, I guess, person, you know, an athlete. And then somewhere in the mid nineties, you know, I just started to personal train, coach, master swim, and started to work one-on-one -on -one with some athletes. And, you know, that's how I guess I started to cut my teeth. And obviously you're doing it to, to make a living because it wasn't really earning the kind of paychecks that you guys were. <laughs> racing. And, and, um, but at the same time, it, it was like you, you're teaching yourself triathlon from what you're learning. And then you're basically got all these guinea pigs of people that, you know, you're helping out and trying things on, on them. You're like, Hey, let's do this. Let's try this. Or I've done this as a coach and that didn't, work for me when I was an athlete. And so, you know, a lot of it is just tinkering and experimenting um, and learning because the science is one side. And I think that's the big um, part of it that, you know, I think of Joel and, and I like to think myself and, and quite a, you know, there's, there's a good group of coaches that really have a true understanding is like science is our guide, but at the same time that the practical and the art side of it is, is really, you know, how you get the results and how you're able to do that over a long career because you certainly can't, and we've heard this over and over in our sport, but you can't take a one mold and be like, okay, this is going to work for everybody. Right. Mm. No, I, I just had that conversation with Siri Lindley about that, that you really, the art of, of coaching is, is really what we're discussing most of the time that there's a science out there that's very factual, but it really doesn't fit for every single person. But when, when was there a point where you were like, um, Okay, I'm a, I'm I'm a reasonable athlete. I'm kind of hitting my head against the wall with the swimming and running a bit on the on the triathlon side. Was it a gradual thing into coaching, or was it like this is what I want to do with my life? Yeah, no, I mean for me, it was definitely at that time I was doing all those jobs and personal training and coaching masters, and then even teaching adults to swim, and I really really enjoyed it. And you know, there was definitely some people along the way. A lot of them are actually not athletes. It was interesting. I remember like teaching to a McGill professor, PhD, uh, some swimming. And, you know, this particular woman was just like, you're a really good teacher. Like she's like, you have a very good way with trying to, you know, help me understand what you're trying to convey. And it was, you know, and I did had the same kind of feedback even with some of my, you know, just lose weight, um, 
mm. kind of clientele as a personal trainer, you know, and, and, you know, some of them have been struggling, you know, most of their life with up and down and diets and yo-yos. And, you know, it was impactful to hear that feedback of someone saying, hey, I've gone through trainers for the last 25 years of my life, all these fads. You seem to be the only one that cares. Like I've seen other people that are, you know, looking at their cell phone when I'm on the treadmill. Like you're really invested in this hour that I have with you, you know. And I've always been that way. You know, it's very important. You know, it's my job, but I and I take it very seriously. But when you come to me, and I think that's one thing that really rounded me out. You know, I think it, it's maybe given me that I'm like an elite coach that has that ability to also really have the empathy to work with a beginner and, and the patience to do so because I, I started from that to a certain degree that you're encouraging someone that oh my god you just ran your first five minutes straight at, at like 14 minute mile pace but you're running you know and then we're like hey you know six months down the road you did your first 5k that's amazing you know and I, and I love that stuff but it it also was kind of nice while I was doing that then I started to have some you know, by 99, I, you know, was starting to have a little bit of success coaching more like provincial, national, actually, Sam McGlone um, did play second at Montreal Worlds as a junior there. And so that was, you know, one of my, I guess, first bigger results for, for an athlete. And, um, you know, and then a lot of things kind of progressed from there. But I think I've always been pretty full in when I'm into something. And, and that's what kind of happened, you know, literally hit that point. And then, I mean, I, I probably would have kept beating my head, to be honest, um, for maybe a little while longer. I, th I think one of the best things that probably happened to me that's really probably I, I got ended up getting glandular fever, which, you know, some athletes do get. So like the Epson bar uh, mm -hmm. virus and that and that pretty much ended it for me in 1999. I was just not the same um, person and athlete. Um, and so that, you know, to have everything that you identified with taken away from you was was, was pretty hard. And, and at the same time. Like I said, I, it helped launch me into coaching more full time because at that point I couldn't really even train. So it was uh, one of these things more, I guess, like a blessing in disguise, not to overuse that cliche, but it's, it did kind of get me to go like, Hey, this is, this is, you know, what you got now. And, and it made me even love it more to a certain degree, you know, and I think then you just put all your focus into your athletes and help them to get better. But then I was kind of armed with all this like real life experience too, of kind of like really truly understanding, you know, on your era as well. I think we're kind of similar um, years coming out of the eighties, going into the nineties was always more is better, you know, and it was always, you know, I had coaches, you know, get me all amped up that I'm like, no one in Canada is doing the volume you're doing. And you're like, yeah, okay. And there's a reason because you end up in a body bag, right? <laughs> it's, that's, I'm laughing here because uh, I'm actually just scribbling, you know, uh, notes for a book right now. I, I have a publisher that's wanted me to write a book. So I've been writing a book and basically I look at the nineties and I <laughs> basically it was like, yeah, let, how much more can we throw in? And whoever works the hardest is going to be the greatest. It's that simple equation, right? <laughs> it was like, and, and I, I laugh about some of the workouts that I did just absolutely brutal. And uh, like, man, and a lot of that was for just because you were trying to build confidence and everything else. But it was like, man, you left so many great races in the, in the training. And uh, I love, I love that, um, I love that that the life when when you think that you know something's taken away from you, like you said, you know your, your athletic career, and then how this door opens up, and and it's almost like, no, this is what you've been meaning to, meant to do. This is your God given talent right here. 
You know, it's like, so it's almost like, I don't know what you pray to or whatever, but they've given you a slap in the face and said, right, you're getting glandular fever and because you're not seeing what I'm seeing. So here you go. Yeah. <laughs> enough, enough with the athletic stuff because I want you to teach and help others because that is the gift I have. And, and you used two words that I think describe you very well. I think you're, you're one of the most empathetic people that I know and one of the most patient people I know. And they're two superb qualities to have for a coach. Um, Two that I desperately would love to have, <laughs> yeah. and that I need to work on. But, yeah. but but I think they are qualities that that you describe, and I think that that's just absolutely fantastic. Now, looking at your coaching, um, what have been some of the biggest influences, say, for your coaching style? Is it has it been the athletes you work with? Is it other coaches? Is it something you read from the fifties and sixties? What? <laughs> how would you describe your 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 coaching style. Yeah. Uh, man, it's, um, or influences, maybe start yeah, with yeah. influences just cause it helps a bit. Yeah. It's interesting too, though, you know, because you know, all these years, you know, later and you know, all the hundreds of athletes I've coached and, you know, and you kind of going through, you know, the interview process, whether you're interviewing an athlete you might work with and they're interviewing you as a potential coach. Right. And it's interesting cause you always get that, like, what's your philosophy? And it's like, you know, as you, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. And you're like, Man, you know, I mean, it has, I can think with anyone, even when you look at an artist, you know, you two back in the day with like war and, and Sunday, bloody Sunday, and then you look at what they're producing now. I mean, the, the growth and evolution, you know, is, is, is amazing, you know? And well, I love that. What a, what a great way to put it. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what That's I mean? It's, it's like that in many ways, yeah. even, you know, and I think it's probably fair to say for me, well, I have science background. I actually, when I was in university, was studying art history. I've always been a little more of of someone that likes art and paintings, and 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 you know, even when you you know, like a, a musician, for example. But the same thing when you're looking at you know a Monet or a Van Gogh or any of these artists over the years, it, they've evolved. You know, and even Picasso back in the day was actually painting realism before he went into cubism, right? So I think for me, it, I've always been fascinated with with many things. Um, and I think, uh, some of the, my mistakes, certainly, um, I was very fortunate, um, to, to have been surrounded by some pretty good athletes back in the day. Um, most notable was Andrew McMartin from Montreal. So he was someone that I, I knew of, we'd crossed paths and became a little later in his career, really good friends. Um, uh, same thing, you know, seeing Simon kind of come up in those years before the first Olympics that, you know, he really came to prominence. And, you know, you, you learn a lot and you see the process that some of the other athletes are going through. And I've always been someone that learns a lot by example, kind of, mm. you know, if someone told me like, hey, why don't you stop training because you're not going to make it as an athlete, <laughs> that would only add fuel to my fire. So I basically needed my body just to completely shut down to kind of tell me go in this direction to a certain degree. Uh, which is, you know, a little, little stubborn, a little hard edged, but I'd say some good coaches, um, along the way, some people that gave time to me when they really didn't have to, um, that was influential for me. Um, some of those friends that I, that I mentioned as well, seeing their journey. Um, and then, you know, a lot of the, the athletes I, I met along the way really helped out, you know, and you always picking up little things here and there. Um, I'd say that's probably the biggest thing. I, I it's, it's a little, it might even sound, um, how to put it, just a, a little bit on the the pretentious side. But I, even as a young athlete, had this little theory that I I kind of call "be your own hero." 
I, I, my parents still have the same house that I grew up in and it's one and only house we ever had. And, um, to get home from any ride, you've got about this three mile climb and it's one of these awesome climbs that kind of goes in steps. So it's like up in a little plateau and up in a little plateau. I know this climb so well because I fought Greg LeMond every single time up it, right? Like <laughs> I was a teenager, it was just one of these like, oh, that was a good surge, but Greg would still be there. You got to go again. You got to go again. I just always had that in my head, you know, push, 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 you know, and, and I didn't have training partners. I just did this alone, you know, and, and I can still even close my eyes and still even visualize like that bird's eye view of looking down at myself suffering as a 15, 16 year old on that hill. And, and I loved it. And, and I think that kind of theory, I was like, you know, you, I know you might not be a Greg Namond, you might not be, you know, one of the top people in the world, but you can still do something heroic. You can do something inspiring. Right. And that's, that's that kind of motto. I kind of somehow, you know, maybe because I was told I wasn't good at anything, had to instill in myself that, Hey, you know, that was pretty epic and you did that, you know? And so it was something that I always kind of took. And, and like I said, it can sound a little arrogant because I can't really pinpoint anyone or a lecture or a book. I just learned and sucked it in and wanted to be better and wanted my athletes to get better. And yeah, you know, of course, if that meant, you know, talking when you're on a circuit night to you with other coaches, typically over beers, then you're like, oh, that's a good idea. Or like you're sharing ideas or you're talking about common, you know, roadblocks or issues you all have at that level of coaching and um yeah you just got to be kind of open to, to 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 take in but at the same time you also have that have to have that strength to listen to your own convictions you know and, mm. and i think that's a hard one because to to actually take you know my early development you know even whether we call it five years or ten years and to pinpoint one particular moment it's it's actually really hard to do um, mm. I kind of really skirted <laughs> most of your question there, but no, no, I think, I think you, you, you've done very well because I think you've basically said, look, my coaching influences include everything from being a 15, 16 year old kid climbing up, you know, to my folks house on my bike and the visualizing and, and that kind of training that you were doing on your own to being on the world cup circuit amongst all the, some of the other great coaches of the world. And I've always been amazed how forthcoming everybody is with the knowledge they have that it, like you said if you are open if you are ready to be a sponge and share even what you know it's it's amazing how much people are, are willing to share with you um i know when laura and i really started to coach ourselves sort of in 2004 onwards um for me it was yes we you know i have my degree in you know human movement studies and, and that kind of background as well but then it was oh crap i better re-educate myself but there's also all of this knowledge that i've gained from being in this sport for 15 years but you know for me it was like i opened up the arthur lydiards of the world you know oh yeah the great the great coach from new zealand the greatest running coach probably of all time um and and really sort of dissecting his work uh, and then emil zadapek uh you know who for those who don't know is the only man to win the 5k the 10k and the marathon at the one olympics actually i don't even think you can do it at the olympics now but anyway he did that in was that 52 or 56 excuse me i can't I remember but anyway but he was but, the one that was like pulling logs while running and all uh, kinds of incredible workout oh, I I, from czechoslovakia uh, yeah. was czechoslovakia now czech republic but he uh incredible so for me it was there was always that learning from you guys as much as I could. Then there was the study, the reading, and then there was the 
the own experiences. And I think that's that's what you've done. And, and then you stay true to your own convictions. But now, like I said in the introduction, you've worked with amateurs, professionals, everything from ITU short course all the way through to the full-blown Ironman. And you've been doing that at the one time. It's not like you've had a stable of Ironman athletes only or a stable. Yeah. How have you been? I mean, have they always been? Have they been a squad together training, or is it online coaching? How do you manage all those varying athletes? And oh, look, they're all aerobic. Yeah, they're all still aerobic. So there's a lot of similarities still there. But still, how how have you managed all of that? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I think it's also over the span of time that's gone from, you know, sometimes having a full-time squad. Like when I was in Victoria, it was definitely a full-time squad where we did have a mix, you know, I had Mel McQuaid, you know, and Xterra coming out and training with us. And I had, you know, Peter. And then of course, you know, I had juniors and under 23s and ITU, you know, national team athletes. And so, yeah, I just, uh, a lot of management, um, really making sure you stay true to what it is that that particular athlete needs to be working on. I think you have some common ground areas like in the swim you know I, I mean i think that was i remember at one point i think in 2004 and even in 2005 and working with peter i remember he came out of the water in kona great position and he was like man you made me a swimmer you know and in and once again you know really nice compliments and so i think a lot of the i you know swimming I hate to say swimming is swimming but you know preparing an athlete for the demands of competition is something that's always kind of driven me like what are we preparing for versus just like oh here's a cool workout right so mm-hmm. there's still going to be whether you're in itu which is obviously very intense um non-draft olympic half ironman ironman there's still surges there's pace changes you know the start goes quick you know some people are hanging on for dear life in the beginning then it settles down you know, that type of thing, then there's a surge, it picks up or, you know, like in Kona, like, I mean, that's what's so amazing about when you've seen our sport in many different periods of time, you know, seeing, you know, sometimes it has changed a lot in many ways. And in some cases, you know, it's just become more tactical, but you still have to develop those tools for your athlete. And I guess that's how I've always seen it. So it's like, it's okay for an Ironman or short course person to do, you know, a hard, lactate tolerance set in the pool because that's what they're still going to see and then especially when you see the movement of the itu athletes coming in a long course that's what they bring you know they're able to go and like open up uh you know at a 70.3 with a strong 200 or 400 and then settle in but they've already gotten rid of some people and that's part of the tactics you know that was some of the stuff i, I enjoy the most when i'm coaching you know these athletes be like hey you know here's what we need to do to get rid of the runners <laughs> keep it strong in the front you know and so you know, there's a lot of, a lot of tactics that, that come into it. And so that always worked out well there. And then obviously with some of the other, you know, sessions and, you know, sometimes it's like a little longer for some, a little shorter for others, and you just have to keep track of it. I, I, I think for me, I like that aspect of it though. It kept me very alert to a certain degree. You gotta be very mindful of what's going on and really get very organized and keeping track of all the different, you know, periodization and different things going on for each athlete. And, um, you know, I, I, I actually really like that though side of it, you mm. know, because it's, uh, it keeps you sharp <laughs> to a certain degree. I know it sounds very simple, but no, uh, no, no. Uh, but I think that leads me into where I want to go because I know a lot of the listeners, you know, are currently hoping to maybe even end the year with a few races, but maybe they're starting to already think 2021 and trying to build out a, their own training program, or maybe they've got a coach that they're running things by, but to have you on, you know, they, they're probably, you know, getting the opportunity to listen 
what kind of advice could you give in terms of overall, if we were to say, let's look at a year or up to two to four year type, looking at an athlete, if, if, if I came to you um, and say it's 25 year old, Greg Bennett comes to you, you look at me and, or, or whoever it is. And do you have a concept or a template? And, and what I mean by that is when I had Dan Larang on, um, who's the coach of Jan Fredino and Annie Hug and the, the Bora Hansgrohe team, cycling team. Yep. And he described that he tends to start the year with a lot of VO2 work. And then he would move into some aerobic work as the races approached, almost flips it upside down compared to what we've always heard, building the aerobic base and then doing VO2 work. And I was very interested to hear that. And then he goes through that wave throughout the year. How would you approach an athlete like myself or an amateur athlete? Or well, I am an amateur now, actually. So, but, but how would you do that? So, I mean, first off, what I try to do too initially is, is that interview process is really important. You need to find out as much information of the background of the athlete as possible. You know, I think most people would agree with that. But I, I before I kind of be like, oh, yeah, we know we're going to throw you into this. We'll try this. Like, I really need to know what you've done. Right. And then you try to make an assessment and go like, okay, you know, he's primarily doing maybe this type of training, you know, and then obviously, you know, many years ago, we didn't have as much information. We didn't have as many power files and those kind of things. But, you know, you would try to take a look at like, okay, where are you now? You know, like if you were like 25 and still doing ITU and, but say, you know, for example, you know, you could hold, you know, 4.6 watts per kilogram all day long but you can't hold, I mean, this is a horrible example, but say you, you can't break five, five for two minutes. We're like, okay, you know, that you're going to get dropped from every group, you know? So <laughs> we need to work on that. I mean, it's a very basic, very basic. No, but it makes goal. sense. Go on. Yeah. You know, so I always kind of try to take a really quick, well, not quick, but a very detailed inventory of where that athlete is at, you know, what your goals are, where do you want to go? If you're like, Hey, I want to go long course. They're like, okay, well, you know, that that's pretty good. Sounds like you've been doing that type of training for it. You know? So I, I, I do it a little bit, try to get as much information as possible from the athlete, try to really establish where they're at. You know, some people, and we see, I mean, triathlons is a wonderful sport in that regard too, where you get these, you know, outliers, these people that come in, you know, from maybe another sport. And then within three years or, you know, like, wow, you know, they're really performing even as a professional and, you know, but they obviously had done a lot of energy system development early in their career. Right. And so when you see these rowers come in like Cam Worth or some of these guys, mm. you know, it's, it's, and this is, I think something I don't mean, I've never really actually met Cam Worth, but you know, as a, as a coach, you kind of armchair speculate a lot about, you know, what might've happened behind the scenes in those early years of development. So, I think it's really important to try to get you have to listen to my podcast with cam yeah he, I have he tells us he tells all <laughs> okay cool i will it's um so yeah it's really important to, to get a good bearing of wh where that athlete is, is at and how far they're developed and try to really pinpoint where you're going to take that direction um mm. and you're right too i mean it's interesting all the classic periodization all the things that you learn in in, in school and in coaching um you know uh, levels and certifications it when you coach ITU, completely thrown out the door, you know, that, and that was, you know, especially when you're co coaching someone who's developing and coming up. So, you know, they might be the 12th ranked athlete in the country. You're like, man, if we get a start, like you got to go. Right. So it's like, you know, you know, where if you're say a top six or a top five, you know, ranked in the country, you're probably going to get a start pretty much anytime you want to get a start. So I think that for me in coaching athletes, you know, starting in the late nineties in ITU, 
it it really kind of flipped on end how you saw periodization. You're like, oh well, okay, we're gonna have to basically mm. maybe even like you were just saying with Dan, you know, start with the intensity first. Um, you know, earlier in the season to actually be ready. You know, I I played around a lot with having athletes say at a 90, 95% peak, being able to sustain it for almost six to eight weeks because you might actually have to do three World Cups in that period, right? And and like I said, you know, everything that you learned was of like, oh, yeah, nice long general prep phase and build up with the aerobic and then get yourself ready to do, um, you know, the intensity and build up towards the race season. So it does, it does kind of flip. But I think where you got to be mindful and that's in that interview process, it's really trying to figure out that training age of, of the athlete. Really like if someone say is a little younger, you know, when you kind of really look into youth development and adolescent development, which I also find very fascinating. And um, I'd say before I continue when one of the kind of backtracking a little, but one of the most, I guess I would call it uh, one of the best things I ever did in my coaching career is I did attend our national coaching Institute in Victoria, British Columbia, and they have a full-time year-long program, which is basically a high-performance diploma in coaching. And it was probably one of the best things I ever did. It was 2002 to 2003. And in that, I still actually have my final presentation. You put a booklet together. I think mine was like 96 pages. I had to present on you know, my annual plan, my long-term development model, which at that time was like an eight-year plan, right? And mm. a lot of this was actually based around Sam McGlone. And um, what what was, I think, really good about it in many ways too is kind of comes back to that learning from yourself a little. It was a time for me to reflect on everything I knew up to that point. And so you're really looking at it, putting it on paper. You know, weekly we had to literally do uh, like defense of theories you're up there presenting why you felt this and it really challenged you in many ways and so it was one of the most amazing experiences honestly i ever had and so i i'd probably say that more than anything i know we're kind of going back to one of your earlier questions that really helped me one thing we did in that what i thought was incredible we had to actually um, amass almost 60 hours of videotape of us coaching so a lot of times like i would go out with another person and they were a rowing coach. So I'd be in the coach boat filming them and they'd come on the pool deck or come out to track sessions and other sessions with me to film me. And then you have to basically go back to, you know, the classroom, upload the, the video and then really dissect it and, and look at your coaching style and be like, Hey, did you see when you're writing on the board? Like that was five minutes that you had your back turned to, to the group in the water and they were waiting. Like, is that the best use of your time? You know, <laughs> things like that though, is as small and trivial as that sounds, uh, yeah. you know, really mindful of. And I don't think we do that enough. Like as athletes, you know, you got coaches and as athletes, you guys are pretty hard on yourselves as well. So you're always dissecting. And I think, as coaches, it's a really good habit to get into to really look at like, hey, how am I coaching? How am I teaching what I'm trying to teach and, and get across what I'm trying to get across? So that that really helped me a lot, um, that experience. And so it's something that I, I, I feel like I've always, you know, taken with me, um, being mindful of that, that aspect of, um, you know, how am I teaching? How effective am I as a teacher as well? Yeah. So, okay. Let me get more specific then with my question here. Um, aerobic work versus VO2 versus speed work. When when you, or threshold work, we can add that in there as well. When, when you have an athlete that turns up 
Maybe they've got three to five years experience. Maybe they've got this idea that they want to be professional. Maybe they're an amateur that just wants to qualify for Kona or whatever it is. When you're designing a, a training program, how are you first... I mean, I know I understand what you're saying in terms of it's being specific to that individual, but is there a mindset? Like when I work with most athletes that I work with, I generally start with putting in my big aerobic runs or certain swim workouts and then I kind of layer it in the bike over the top, that that kind of thing. Do you have a template that you use in terms of how much VO2 work you do all year? Are you doing VO2 work all year round? Are you doing speed work all year round or are you, are you having definite, phases of aerobic work or, or whatever else yeah this is where i'll probably be like the elusive like hard to pin down type of person <laughs> no because honestly, i'm gonna keep coming back at you no, I'm <laughs> yeah i you know i, I put myself in a, in a in a position here like i it's case by case scenario honestly i'll say one thing that i could say in general i love speed work but when i mean speed work it's small it's like what you would d- call your anaerobic lactic, so you're really in that energy mm-hmm. system that is, you know, you're 15 seconds and under. But I th- it's almost skill set training. Exactly. Yeah. I think it's one yeah. of the most effective. Like if we're already aerobic machines as triathletes, if we don't stay in touch in that year round, you're going to lose that, you know? And mm-hmm. I think that's one of those things that even in your off season, like I love fartlicks, I love pickups, I love drills, just for like the sharpness, the agility. So you'll get that track with me or what we're not tracked, all the time, but you'll get that either at the end of a fart lick, even some of the runoffs, like I have, you know, whether they're long course athletes and even my college athletes, I'm a real big believer of runoffs. And, you know, as we progress into season, the runoffs will get a little more dialing in the pace, a little more specific where off season runoffs for me will include, you know, your, your standard drills, you know, high knees, heel flicks, fast feet, just kind of working on efficiency, especially when you have load, because everything we do in triathlon, right, is about basically running fatigued, cycling fatigued, you know, it's about withstanding that and having that um, strength endurance to be able to maintain form, right? And obviously, as you go longer, uh, half Ironman, Ironman, that's even more important, you know, when you look at, you know, some of the best in the business, you know, whether it's Rennie, um, I always felt Crowey was probably, you know, one of the best um, in terms of you can look at his first mile look and then look at him again in mile 23, very little has changed in his cadence, his body position. I think both those two that I just mentioned are probably the only two that have either slightly negative split in Kona, which is incredibly hard to do when you consider the course and and and, and how it's more undulating, but they're very close to almost even splitting in some of their best, you know, marathons that they've had. I, I'd agree with you with those two. I right? think they're I mean just I think efficient beyond. Be- you know? Beautiful to watch. Yeah. 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 You know, and so a lot of the work I do is really thinking about the demands of competition. So that's where I like to stay in touch with a little bit of speed. It makes you more efficient. You know, same thing in the water, you know, little bursts. And how do you produce speed? You know, I think that's one of the biggest things too. You know, when you look at some a swimmer and you ask them, then sometimes they actually don't even know. They're like, well, you know, I pick up my turnover or I add a little more kick and, you know, all these things. So you, you want them to be aware of, you know, why they're doing it and then how they're able to generate that, what it is they're doing. Um, but I'll get back to... It also, <laughs> it really depends because, you know, say if we're doing ITU and someone's like starting a race in February, then of course you got to get right into your VO2 development, got to get, you know, push your anaerobic ceiling up. So those are a lot of things that I really like to work on. Um, I also really feel 
that say, you know, you at 25, going back to your original question, you're like, well, you've probably been cranking it since you were 12, right? So mm-hmm. we don't have to spend as much time developing your aerobic capacity because it's already there. So then we need to really start looking at well, where are the areas, you know, that we need to continue to develop you to be that world-class athlete or, or even, you know, maintain that world-class athlete status. And I think there's two things that I like to look at. It's like part, what can you do as an athlete? What can we do to, to, to improve, you know, the engine, the efficiency, to look at that full holistic picture, you know, whether it's because there's so many people that are like incredibly well-developed engines, but they're still inefficient, right? So that's something I try to look at right away too. And you're just like, man, you know, like, in all these years, you still haven't fixed, you know, that head position on the run. And that's like the moment you get your head down, all of a sudden your cadence is, is up by two or three, you know, and you're more efficient. And as soon as you start, you know, the head position comes up and the chest follows and then you start getting that little rounded bit in your low back. And then all of a sudden you start seeing more heel strikes. That's something you got to be, you know, really paying attention to because it can really affect you over the course of a full marathon and an Ironman, right? Mm-hmm. So these are, these are things I kind of look at because I've had, you know, athletes, you know, that I've worked with that have been young, starting as teenagers. And then I've had athletes like Leanda a few years ago. I've coached her twice in her career, you know, came to me in 2013 and, you know, with, with a hamstring injury. And we had to kind of rework things and work on efficiency and form a bit more. And, and, and that's actually a great example. We did something very different. Um, we actually started to get her back into ITU races. So you might have seen that from for maybe the armchair and all of a sudden Leanda's going and doing Conti cups and stuff. And we were making a little bid for the Commonwealth games in 214 as well. But at the same time, it allowed us to, you know, rework, you know, this athlete that achieved so many amazing things. Uh, and at the same time was, was in a place where, you know, the injury hadn't gotten better. Um, you know, so we did do a lot of, t- you know, a little bit of time off of course. And then we did look a lot at mechanics and then, the one thing that I like about, you know, speed and then when you do get into the VO2 max work, we're more efficient when we're working quicker. You know, we don't mm. land as hard when we're running faster, right? So if you do it in a controlled manner and you got to really, you know, think about your week and your sequencing of sessions, um, you know, and then really keeping track of, you know, how hard that athlete is doing. Like I got this little very basic principle. If you're doing speed work, you shouldn't be lying on the ground in a starfish position. Like, that's too hard. <laughs> You know what I mean? It's, exactly. You know, you're doing it, like you said, for that neurological stimulus as well, right? So with Leanda, it's, it's, this is a great example to kind of showcase exactly that I pretty much flipped how you did it. And we're like, okay, you know what? Let's start with this very, very short fart-like runs. Let's start building up that speed. You know, let's see how you tolerate it. Let's see how, give me all the sensations. How are you feeling? How's the, how's the hamstring? How's the leg? Okay, you feel good. And then we kind of build on that, right? So then... I big believer in that sense that I'm like, look, even if we're going to return to 70.3 in Ironman, this is actually going to get you back with a little more speed, a little more efficiency. And and one thing I always like to keep an eye on is where is the sport going? So you're thinking about the athlete you're working with, but you're also kind of looking at the trends, right? You're looking at like, hey, you know, Kona now has more, you know, front pack swimmers. So, you know, you got to work obviously, you know, very simple, but you know, example, but get your swim going. But then say if you're someone that you're always going to be three minutes down, okay, how do you make that up? You know, do you try to, you know, like a keen lay, right? Do you try to make a big push early in the first 30 miles and, and expend a lot of energy? Or do you kind of bide your time and work into it when things blow up up front, right? I mean, mm. we've seen 
Iron Man 70.3, you know, over a few decades really changed a lot, you know, and even, even the same thing can be said about ITU, you know, the Brownleys took it to another level. And even I like to think, you know, when I was coaching Sarah McClarty and Sarah Haskins, we kind of changed some of the racing in terms of the swim got up. I remember you and Laura telling me once like, man, I got to actually get my swim game back up again now because it's changed, you know, because you sometimes go into these years where, Ah, everyone's just kind of sitting around, especially I think you and Hunter were talking about that leading into, you know, um, 2004 Olympics where it became just a 10K race, right? Mm. So, well, <laughs> not 2004. He thought it was going to be a 10K well, race. <laughs> but up until then, like up until 2003, yeah. that's what was yeah. cool about it. Like that test event, you're like, oh no, you know it's going to be different, you know? And no, I, no, I know that was, that was crazy. Just a quick mini break before we get back to the show. I just want to remind you guys to go check out athleticgreens.com forward slash Greg. Sign up and get your free 20 daily travel packets with your first order of $79 added value. That's athleticgreens.com forward slash Greg. You mentioned Leander Cave. For people that don't know, she's one of the the world's greatest um I, well, she won 2012 IMM World Championships. She's won ITU World Championships. She's won the World Long Course Championships, and she's won 70.3 Worlds. So we're talking about a, a, a very gifted and incredible athlete in her, in her own right. And, and I love what you're saying about Leander because I, I'd almost describe it as creating this youthfulness. Um, it's, it's like the, the way I trained as I got older was very much about what – would I want to feel like as a 16-year-old to 22-year-old, right? That that youthful kind of where you want to do everything fast. Yeah. And as you get older and when I was in my 40s and even now as I, I go and train, most of my training is, you know, it's I'm either in the gym lifting fairly heavy weights but I'm thinking power, I'm thinking youthfulness, I'm thinking, you know, I do VO2 work on the treadmill I'll, and, and most of that at incline just to avoid the, the pounding. Um, but it's that kind of – how do I maintain youthfulness? That's the question that I keep kind of coming back to. Now, I can keep going doing aerobic miles and almost the body wants to go do that. So I'm almost forcing it to come and do these other things. How much, um, you know, testing and that are you doing with your athletes, VO2 max, um, you know, any blood work, all these, are you testing your athletes much? You know, once again, you know, various times in my career, depending on access and ease of access, you know, when I was US coach, you had it and you know, you're basically in the back pocket. So I, I really enjoyed that a lot. Um, especially being in altitude. I also like to do the testing where we would see how long you can maintain, you know, the, the, the blood benefits of, of altitude exposure. So like the hemoglobin mass and those type of things, I'd always, some athletes I saw no changes up to almost six weeks out, you know, but it's very individual, but those are, you know, things that I always found very fascinating. And, and, um, that if you have access, I think one of the biggest things with testing is, you know, you gotta be consistent with it. Right. So it's like, if you, you know, some people are like, Oh, I gotta get a test. And then they don't do anything for two years. You're like, well, <laughs> what's really the point. But, um, you know, so with my college, uh, girls, we're in our fifth year now we 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 certainly use our our lab and you know i'll probably be in there three four times a year i like lactate curves just to kind of you know see where you are in different times of the year um it's nice when you get that data over time for the athletes so they can look at you know if you start working with them maybe they came in with some data as well and so you can kind of continue and prolong that and Mm. and see how they're doing i'm a huge fan of like 
I like to be very creative with my training and I like variety, but at the same time, I also have like staple test sets or things that you do just to see where you're at, you know? And, I, and I, What would be one of those? Give us an example of one of those test sets. I mean, I love like, you know, for ITU things, you know, a lot of people do a 100, if we're talking yards, a 100, 500 in the pool uh, or the 200 and 800, I think is a good one. Um, I love, you know, even just a standard. Um, for the college girls, I mean, we kind of keep it just like a 10 ones, but we also do the speed. And this is, you know, once again, it's like, we just did one a couple weeks ago and we turned it into a relay race, you know, just to make it a little more fun, but, you know, had enough stopwatches to make sure you still got an accurate split and so <laughs> 100 and the 200, but it's a great, you know, especially for, I mean, like you said, you think about your youth, you throw me in a relay, I'm going to turn myself inside, oh, right? Mate, I still do that. Are you <laughs> kidding? I love the relay. I'm so jealous of all these guys in the ITU getting to race the mixed relay at the Olympic Games. That is just the ultimate excitement. You know what I mean? It's nervous excitement. You don't want to let your teammates down and you will. I would pull myself inside out for my teammates, you know? <laughs> Absolutely, you know, and, and even, man, way back, this event doesn't even exist, but when I was – a kid, when I first was actually training bike racing, 92 was the Olympics I was targeting as a young cyclist and, and um, kind of showed a little bit of a, I guess, ability for that four-person team time trial that was always 100K, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, you're just four guys trading off poles at 50, 52K an hour for like two yeah, hours. Yeah, you don't want to be the weak guy in that, do you, huh, for 100K? That's no. what they wrote. That used yeah. to be, didn't it? That's <laughs> from two, and you see that one person that got dropped oh. and like early and it wasn't planned, and you're like, oh, no, you know? And then it's like, we've all kind of, I mean, I've been the guy that's been pushing the pace, and I've also been the guy that I'm like, hey, I'm supposed to be recovering in the fourth wheel, and I'm certainly not recovering. <laughs> I know. I love it. How much are your athletes in doing strength work in the gym or do you just focus on specific like swimming with paddles, biking, big gear climbs and running up hills? What do you do? Yeah, both forms. I like what you would call sport specific. So a lot of, you know, band work, paddles. We also have um, here at ASU those awesome buckets. So you put um, a belt on and the power tower type of thing. And I like using... I'll use that for strength. I'll use it for power. I'll even use it for technique because when you got some resistance pulling you back, nothing will help you see a little, say, catch. If you're kind of slipping out a little, you'll see it even more exacerbated. So I like that as a teaching tool as well. But um, yeah, I pretty much same thing. I love hills. I love hills on the run. I love hills every different distance. Like even right now, I'd say the team is training more in like off-season type mode because we don't actually have a season, so we're not racing. But at the Mm -hmm. same time, we're still – we got this awesome grade, um, but a 35-second hill that um, your top maybe five meters kind of rolls off to a flat plateau. So you're able to like really work in the mechanics, working on a knee drive, and then you get to the top and you're able to spin it out a little bit. So, you know, once again, it's like – you're not doing a big volume of that, but you're really tapping into, you know, the, those, those higher anaerobic energy systems, which I think, you know, you, you're, is, is really important to do. Um, very important, especially for this age group that I'm working with. And, and I think that's, yeah, kind of going back to, you know, you're just looking at how you're working on developing, you know, the, these athletes. And I think, you know, to a certain degree, um, you know, it's nice to kind of go from, hey, I was, you know, working with mid-30s, Ironman athletes and now I'm working with 17, 18 year old ITU athletes again. And it just really helps you switch gears and, and kind of stay kind of relevant and current with, you know, especially in your own mind too, of like, uh, uh-uh, you know, this is a type of training you need to be doing here. Cause I think sometimes, 
you know, athletes and coaches can really get in a rut and they're like, oh no, I like just going long and, you know, just go volume and that kind of thing. And, and like you said, you know, that example with Leanda is a good one. It's just, it kind of brought back, like, she's a racer, you know, she, similar to you and she, she's a, you know, someone that likes to speed and, and you're like, Hey, to kind of go back to that actually helped her almost not to say that she was at a point where she didn't love the sport anymore. It's just sometimes, you know, it can get a little routine. And especially when you're going long, you don't race as much. And so this was a nice way to kind of, and I remember she told me that she's like, I feel like I'm a young athlete again. I feel like, you know, I'm actually, you know, doing all what I grew up doing, the fast stuff and, and feeling speed. And it makes me feel good. And it's actually pretty good mentally too, you know? So I think, I think some of those things of kind of not really having an actual template kind of helps you, you don't put yourself in a box, right? You kind of helps you stay open for what you mm. feel when you assess the athlete, they should work on to get them to that next level, or even get them back, you know, from, from an injury or, you know, kind of refocus the career in a different direction, right? It could be many different things. And, and yeah, yeah. So I, I, I love that. I really do think that's, I mean, it's, it's almost like get your passion back, right? It was like the, the, the number one thing an athlete needs to keep throughout their career is their passion, right? The passion will get you through injuries and illness and everything else. Um, and then the physical, you can kind of work with it. But I think by bringing Leander back to that short type work, really just, she's like, oh, this is why I remember doing the sport to begin with, you know? And I love when you talked about using the bucket, I think for swimming, uh, one of the biggest breakthroughs I had in my swim, and it had started to go down a little bit. And then we had a coach in, in Noosa, Australia, by the name of Max Pettigrove, who oh, coached us all. Yeah, and, and he brought out these towels one day and, and uh, that had all the, the inner tube. Yep. So you put your ankles in and, and then you still wear your pool boy, but you put these towels and we had everything from like a little tea towel to these huge beach towels that we'd do these workouts with. And that just became a staple of my training from about 2009 onwards. And that really just kept my swimming in a comfortable front pack swimming. It was amazing. If there's one thing I can recommend, and I recommended it to um, Cam Worth after the show when I interviewed him, you know, nine months ago to get his swimming going, I said, look, mate, you've got to get the towel in. Because the reason I loved it, I don't do it with paddles. I would use paddles sometimes with it, just to uh, extra strength, but I loved it because you could feel the water so well yeah right if you if you can't pull a towel through the water you can go forward you're not it teaches you to get that elbow up you get a good catch you get a good feel whereas paddles you can cheat with right you know your, your hand can go everywhere and it, it doesn't really do it and then i loved doing workouts where we do like one to two k fart lick or whatever with a towel in the pool or in a lake and then you take it off and immediately do like a little speed workout, like you said, like a, those 15 meters to 50 meter all out sprints. And you feel like you're about to take off. Yeah. Your arms just go, <laughs> you feel fantastic. Yeah. It was to the point I started thinking, maybe I should be warming up with this before races. I didn't, I didn't ever do it, but I always felt so good when I took that towel off. It's amazing no. too, because I, I love that combination, whether you're doing it in the pool, like you said, where you're like, I've done it with tethers. I've done it, you know, with the power towers and the buckets and all those things. And then, yeah, you want to have a really well-designed set with, with that purpose in mind of like, hey, here's why we're doing this. And then you pull it off and you're right, you know, you do, I would even do things like, you know, 10 yard or, or like 10 meter, 15 meter, you know, then to the wall type of thing and you kind of break it yeah. up so you maintain the stroke. But just to, once you take that off, 
you know, I'd even do with the buckets, we've actually done some front sculling. So you got that resistance, so you can mm. really feel that water and you're trying to get the athlete to kind of visualize that mass that you have under your forearm and your hand, right? And then when, like you said, you pull it off and they're like, wow, the water feels thick, you know? And then same thing with the, I, I love doing combinations like that with those short hills for the run and then going to flat hill, flat, you know, repeats of just, you know, 15 second pickups, you know, 50 meter type things. And it's really doing that transfer. So you're working the strength and then you're working the fast twitch a little more. And I think it's so beneficial. Those are some of my favorite sessions, to be honest. And I think- Me too, me yeah. too. Well, they're fun, you know, even now. Like I told you, I, I, uh, I'm kind of just working out running every second day kind of thing. And most of that's on the treadmill. And But there's a lot of that combination type workout where I'm running at like, you know, 15% grade, just like, ah, yeah. and then boom, slam it down to 1% or whatever and turn the treadmill up, you know, as fast as go and visualize that I'm running against Vincent Lewis or <laughs> Alistair yeah. Brownlee or Gomez for, for, for 10 seconds to 30 seconds. <laughs> but, it's, but it feels fantastic. So it is, it is a lot of fun. I want to move on because – You've touched on the fact that you're now, you know, with this NCAA and the the women's collegiate program that's going on in the US. And for people that aren't in the US, I'll just quickly describe it. Basically, what's happened is the NCAA is the the sporting program for all the colleges in America, um, and the universities are ranked from Division One, Two, Three, maybe Four. I'm not. You have to forgive me. Um, and basically, you are working with a Division One school, which is the big, big school. Um, and what triathlon needs to become right now, it's called an emerging sport. So basically the NCAA has said yes to triathlon. We'll give you 10 years to prove that you can get 40 schools to sign up and then it'll be a fully fledged NCAA sport. Um, right now, from what I understand, there's 32 schools that have signed up. Maybe there's more, but and you can correct me on that. And, and I think we have four or five years to get to the 40. This is interesting because this could really affect the dynamics of where the champions of triathlon come from in the future. Um, and I, I'm interested on your thoughts on where it is at. I'm interested on a whole bunch of other questions, but let's start with the overview of your thoughts of you know this NCAA program and, and what's happening with it. Yeah, and you're absolutely correct um, with the timeline. So we're, we're about four years out, 2024 will be, you know, the limit of it. And we are a few higher, like I know in the COVID era now, we, I think we have lost one or two schools, but I think we're sitting right around 36, 37. So we're, we're pretty close, you know, and, and Tim Yant with uh, USA Triathlon has been, you know, the one really spearheading um, recruiting schools and going and presenting and, and all the different conferences and that. And, and I know some of the schools, like we, we came on, we were the ninth school to come on. So some of us that have been in it, you know, almost from the beginning, you know, also try to really do our part to bring other schools on board and, and um, you know, whether it's like sending them, you know, information or a package or our budget. And we've even done tours and, um, you know, and a few schools have actually added when we've given them a full tour of what we do. And, you know, and our whole staff will come out, including my AD to meet and greet and, Give them as much information, which is also really nice too, because you know what? What other <laughs> sport, you know, when you think about it, would actually do that? You know, do you think like Alabama football would show someone else how to do what they did? You know, and you're like, <laughs> I don't think so, right? So I mean, maybe they are, but I, I'm just thinking it gets a little, maybe a little more secretive at, at that level. But I think right now, you know, we're all very mindful that we're really, you know, want to make this successful, and we want it to to become an NCAA championship sport. 
and uh, and to bring this into being. Um, so I think we all kind of have that. You know, I've made it pretty clear to a lot of the coaches, like, hey, hit, hit me up anytime. I'll I'll give you you know a lot of insight of, of the how I did this and. And you're absolutely right. I mean, this is one of the main reasons why why I'm here and I took this position. You know, I think even when I was a U.S. coach, you know, we we had you know some incredible juniors that we saw um, go to college, go to university here in the U.S. and and you know either run or swim. And and in many cases, we kind of lost them uh, from our sport. You know, and and while they probably had the opportunity to maybe become better, say as a runner, that return didn't really happen too much. So. You know, it was something that we always maybe fantasized a bit, a little bit about, like, oh man, you know, one day if we had this, like, how amazing would that be? You know, I think, and and, and I actually, I really feel that. You know, I feel that, you know, we might be a few quads away, like in terms of Olympic quads, but I don't see why we cannot be similar to running here. You know, in the U.S. at, at you know really big schools like an Oregon or a Stanford, and certainly you know Stanford with swimming you know, every year, you know, putting on how many Olympians, right? And it's something that one of the main reasons, you know, when I was interviewing for this position, I was like, hey, this is what I want to do. Um, I, I obviously want to compete and, and win NCAA titles, but the big picture for me is about developing future champions and future Olympians. And, mm. you know, they were like all on board. I mean, one thing that's pretty cool about ASU is, you know, the Olympic sports actually do matter to them. You know, they, we've got Bob Bowman as our head swim coach. So obviously if you hire him, you're pretty serious about the games, right? <laughs> mm, so That's fantastic. Yeah. yeah. Was it a hard transition for you to, to take a role like this? The fact that you'd kind of been working for yourself yeah. after your time with USA Triathlon and, and, and you were a one-man show with the Cliff yeah. English coaching. And what was that like, the transition? Yeah, I mean, it was – Two, two things. I mean, it was one thing was hard to a certain degree letting go of what I had built, right? You know, I had uh, at that time probably 30 athletes. I was coaching 18 professionals, you know, um, at, at that time I was still coaching Ash Gentle and, and Josh Amberger and Heather Jackson and, you know, quite, quite, quite a few athletes and, uh, at, at, you know, at, obviously at a very top level. And, you know, some we stayed for a little while, some parted ways, you know, some, you know, were like, Hey, you know, there's probably no way you'll be able to, you know, handle, you know, all of this. And, and I didn't know what I was getting into either. You know, I kind of thought like, hey, <laughs> no coach college, you know, I, I knew it wasn't like, you know, coaching a master's team or something, but, um, it, it, it was pretty full on, you know? And so I think that, that I'm, I'm in a much different place now, but I'd say even a couple of years ago, I, 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 yeah, I really thought a lot about like losing that relevance in the other, you know, disciplines for so long. I'd been, you know, ITU 70.3 Ironman. And then it, you know, kind of, you know, still having a few people in it, you know, and I still have maybe a handful, five, six, you know, a couple pros and, and, and some, you know, top level amateurs. And, and I really love that. I mean, it's, it's, it's something that I'll always make sure I have time for because I still feel I have so much to give to a lot of different, I guess, groupings, whether you're amateur or professional, you know, I, I'm, I'm like, man, I have so many years of experience and so much insight. I really feel I, I have a lot to give in that, in that regard, but I really want to make sure or I wanted to make sure that I embraced this job. And what I liked about the, um, the challenge was it forced, like you said, I was a one-man show for, for many years as well. And it, and it put me back in a position of, hey, I actually have to go up to – we have our stadium and, and um, then we have an administrative office, a sixth-floor building that's right, you know, built into, you know, this huge football stadium. 
And then, you know, most of the coaches have their offices on the second floor. And then the sixth floor is your, you know, your athletic director and all your top tier administrators. And I've got to do my budget presentation every year. I got to do my year end reviews and, and, you know, it's full PowerPoint and you got everyone there and then the high back leather chairs in the boardroom and you're presenting. And honestly, I, I really found that exciting. Um, uh, you know, it was sort of, you know, I mean, I've done, I think I've actually bought two suits, you know, where, you know, as a coach before you're like, nah, I don't even need that, you know? So <laughs> it, it, it's, you know, and you probably can relate too. you know, when you do something new and it challenges you and it's a little scary too, to a certain degree, they're like, Hey, you got to do some fun, your fundraising. And you're like, what? And you're like, Hey, you know, you actually have to self fund your, your sport as well a little bit. So we- is that right? I was going to ask you, uh, when it comes to, you know, scholarships and things like that, um, you know, and recruiting must be just a half year job, just trying to recruit the the right women into the program. Yep. Um, and, and I guess that leads me into, well, there's a couple of questions in here, but one, the scholarships and the finances to, to for all these athletes. Secondly, um, where are these athletes coming from in terms of recruiting? Uh, and if, uh, are they all Americans or are you doing internationals? Um, and I'll, I'll leave it there with those two. <laughs> okay, cool. Um, yeah. And you might have to sometimes remind me, I think, you know, once you get like really into a subject and you're like, Hey, what was the part two? <laughs> no, no, you're fine. You're fine. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I think typical coach, I could get really into it. Um, and like I said, you know, the, the big thing that's really exciting is, is where I think this can go. Um, we have D one level, we have six and a half scholarships total. So, we are able to split them up into any percent um, that we want to give to the athlete. And so, you know, over the years, it was gotten even more competitive on this team. Uh, so, you know, what might have been, you know, a 30% or a 50% in the first year, you know, it's, it's, it's um, you know, that that level of athlete has really come up, you know. And if you kind of look through, you know, the roster on our team, you know, we even have a young Canadian, Hannah Henry, who competed – um, last year in 2019 for Team Canada in, in the Pan Am Games and was part of the silver medal uh, relay team, you know. So that's, you know, and we have others like that as well in the team. And that's the level that, that uh, you know, we're now recruiting. Um, a lot of them all share that um, common goal and, I guess, desire to become better, right? So I think we're, we're getting, you know, they're seeing the roster. And, and it's very similar, I think, to how, you know, some of the, the, the professional coaches build you know, their team, you're kind of looking for that balance in a team, you're looking for swimmers, runners, cyclists, and, and then full well-rounded triathletes, you know, people that can really help push in each discipline. But then you're also looking to, you know, that culture is really, really, you know, important. And, and especially so, I find, you know, in, in this college milieu where, you know, if you have one, per, we're a small team, you know, we're typically anywhere from about 12, sometimes 14 in a year, but I like 12 is a good number. And if you have someone who's not committed, you notice it right away and then it can bring down the team or it could bring. So, you know, I had to make some cuts in my second year and then I've never had to do that since, you know, we're, you know, mm-hmm. right on track. Everyone that comes is just like, oh no, I want to be in this team. I want to be pushed. I want to be here because it's the best team you can be on in the U.S. for college. You know, and, it, and, and how often are you guys training then? Is it like a like a normal triathlon squad? Because how well, the women are 
18 to 22? Is that about yeah, the age? Yeah. So, you know, what's interesting, uh, NCA has, you know, a bunch of rules and, and, and some people, you know, may have heard them, some haven't, but one of the bigger ones is you're, you have to give them one day off a week that you're not allowed to coach them. You can't. Is that them. right? <laughs> yeah. You know, so, but it's not a bad thing. And that's typically yeah. becomes yeah. your voluntary day, you know, so that's when they might do a long run together and that type of thing. And, but you are limited to a certain amount of days in two segments. So you have, say, your, your fall and then your spring. And I have 144 days that I can be at my 20 hours a week. And so it took a lot of getting used to, too, because there's a lot of, lot of different rules. Like you can only train four total in a day. But honestly, I think for 18-year-old to, you know, at the end of 21, 22, and you're making that transition from junior, you know, junior elite. Yeah, that's plenty. That's plenty. It's plenty, right? Yeah. So, yeah. you know, if you're a good, effective coach and you're really working on what you should be working on, which is, you know, developing the technique further, you know, being mindful that, you know, a lot of them are kind of coming out, you know, they might not have too much aerobic capacity. So you're working on developing that. And, you know, they're just starting, you know, at 15, 16, 17, to, to work in the VO2 max. So it's it's a really good time to to, to 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 have, you know, these athletes come in, I feel, and, you know, really, you know, continue to develop the energy systems and at the same time also be able to really develop their skill level. You know, and that's how I look at it. You know, some of the girls have, you know, do want to stay and continue, you know, working with me. And obviously that's, you know, something that we're, we're able to do. Like if, if, say, you know, some graduate and then they want to stay and work towards Paris, I'm allowed to coach them. They're allowed to, to, to be with the, pl- the program for that. And that's, you know, part of the master plan that I have with this, that we were, we're able to do that. Um, and, and then, you know, when you think about that too, then you get a freshman coming in and they're seeing this athlete going through that process of, you know, going to their first major games or developing to, you know, going to Olympic trials and stuff like that, I, I think is this, you know, amazing learning experience too. And so I want to be able to create that here. And, and to a certain degree, we already have, but it's, it's still growing and, and there's still, you know, uh, obviously always work to be done, but we, to go back into the makeup of the team, you know, we, I, I actually recruited a German in my first year. And so, uh, Charlotte was, uh, you know, a Bundesliga girl. She, you know, really, really good draft legal kid, um, strong in all three sports kind of, you know, uh, unfortunately what happens sometimes these kids start really young and she had already, you know, a fair amount of injuries early in her career. And, um, you know, so really had to kind of work on, you know, rebuilding her a little bit. And once again, I guess that's one of my, <laughs> I guess, characteristics. I don't really shy away from having to retinker and rebuild an athlete. And so I've, I've had a few of these special projects that we've kind of brought in or even someone that was, you know, maybe a runner, um, actually in my first year, we had a 50 year eligibility, uh, young woman that ran at university of Pennsylvania. She was a team captain in track and cross country and swam a little as a kid and was able to, you know, quickly transition her to, to triathlon. And she actually scored for us as well, which was really cool in our first year of existence. And I always like those, you know, it's fun to, to test yourself, test your craft as a coach and, 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 you know, to see what you could do and teach someone how to ride a bike and, um, you know, that type of thing. Uh, so that being said, I have a couple Canadians on a team. We have one Israeli girl who's on a national team as well. It's definitely someone for the future. Um, you know, for, for them probably in 2024 and 2028. And then, uh, I have a young freshman who 
had a little bit of delay getting here this year with with you know travel and being able to get her visa. But she's from uh, Durban, South Africa, and and uh, Amber was actually the 2018 Youth Olympic gold medalist. So you know, ah, like Emma Snowsill did that. Yeah, right. so <laughs> there you go. incredible caliber. And 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 like I said, you know that's what we're getting with this team. You know these girls want to come here because of the squad and the coaching and, and the environment that, you know, we've created. So it's, uh, and I like that. What's kind of cool is like a lot of times when you look at when I've had squads, when you have that composition with the internationals mixed in there, I think it's really good because you get the really, you know, it's almost like that osmosis of learning that occurs. And at the same time, you don't have, you know, just 12 American athletes all going for the same, a few Olympic spots, which is sometimes really challenging to manage as well. So I, I, I kind of have the same kind of composition where we do have a majority, you know, of American women on the team, but at the same time, I got, you know, like I said, two Canadians, um, you know, and, and, and some other internationals and that really, you know, just gives it a nice mix. I, li- I like that where you're coming from with the, the Olympic and the long-term approach mindset. One of the things I've noticed with the college university system here in the U.S. is obviously if these college- colleges and universities are going to provide scholarships, they want something for their yeah. scholarship. They want something in that four-year window. And and I feel like the burnout rate with, with the exceptional athletes must be just through the roof. And, and look, I have no statistics to back up what I'm saying right now, but it seems to me that if I'm a college and I'm paying an athlete to come, you know, I, I want to get results. I like the fact that you've got the mindset, look, we're looking at Paris, we're looking at you know 2032, whatever. You know, we're looking long-term here for these athletes. So you're developing skills, you're building their aerobic endurance, you're, you're developing their VO2 all with a mindset of long-term keeping them in the sport. And I think that's that's really refreshing and I think it's great because it's one thing for you to go, okay, we're winning national titles, that's great. But it'd be also awesome if I can look in 10 years' time and I see an athlete, even if we didn't win a national title with that athlete, but boom, they're on an Olympic team or winning a major race and they still love the sport. It's one of the things I've always come from when I've coached young athletes, oh, I want to be a world champion, oh, I want to do it now and you know, yeah. this next two to three years, I'm like, I feel like I'm, I've been a successful coach if I see that you're still in the sport in 10 to 15 years' time because I want you to just love the sport. So I love where you're coming from with that. And you mentioned uh, having a few international athletes and the importance of that. My wife, Laura, who swam for SMU and she won NCAA with the team there, uh, their team was made up. Uh, you're, I've just done a podcast with Laura as well, episode coming out. But uh, she talks about half her team were Olympians yeah. from their random countries around the world. And uh, she just said it was so fantastic. They, she had all these random athletes from all around the world. So I think that's also a really fantastic dynamic. How, how often are you guys racing? I mean, obviously COVID's affected your season this year. Uh, is the college system, you have your own races plus the national championship. And then are they racing other, you know, events around as well? And yeah. are you involved in yeah, so you know one one thing, and I, and I think that you would kind of echo on what you were just saying there too. I mean, I think probably it's not to say that all NCA you know D one schools kind of have that you know mo of of just kind of meat grinding or whatever. But you know, I think unfortunately you're right. There there has been some of that. You know, it's and for me, not coming from that background, I come from a background of you know I I really believe in having a athlete that's healthy, hungry you know, and, and, and essentially that makes them happy. Right. And, uh, you know, I think that's, that's 
you know, very simple way to look at it. But for me, I don't come in with that background. I come in like, hey, I want it to be positive experience. I want to make you a better athlete. Like if you don't stay with me after the four years as a coach, that's totally fine. But I want you to leave a much better athlete than when you came. You know, I want you to have learned every year. I want you to learn more about yourself, about the sport and and really enjoy that journey and that process. You know, and I think that's mm. such a, a huge part of it. And so you know, I've always been, I think my whole coaching career, just it's almost like an innate thing with me, to be honest, where I just do kind of think in those stages. And I always think about long term and I always think about what we're trying to achieve, you know, maybe in this block and the next block and then how that, you know, goes into the next year and the following year and the following year. Like, I just think it's it's fascinating to me. But that that's like the goal here. You know, we even tell, you know, there, we've had freshmen that have made the team to represent the school at nationals in their first year. And, but at the same time, I always tell them right away, like, look, you know, you're not expected to, you know, like you're going to put pressure on yourself for sure. And, and you'll probably feel some pressure, but at the same time, you know, you have to earn the spot, but we want to develop you. And I think, you know, information is very important. Right. And so I've always had this kind of look at it that I've taken my style of coaching where it's really based on that athlete coach team relationship it's like you and i are in this together you know and you and i are in this together and like mm-hmm. let's talk let's keep it open how are you doing you know where are we at you know and so i really try to let them know and not just have them you know be like the face on the bench i'm like hey here's my plan for you here's what we're doing here's where i think we need to do a little more work and they're like all right cool coach got it you know and mm-hmm. so it's it's that's you know worked really well for us and um you know, and, and, and like I said, I, it really is in line with my philosophy. I'm never going to rush development. I think that's one thing that we see too much, you know, and we've also, to, to use other like cliches, like we've seen talented athletes get the talent just like trained out of them, you know, and and, and so this is this, uh, you know, this environment that I really want to make sure that, yeah, we're going to have fun and yeah, we're going to work hard and yeah, we're going to train hard and, and we're all going to be, you know, the goal is to be better for it but it's going to be done in an appropriate development fashion, right? Mm, I like that. What about the um, the men? I mean, what, can you tell me what's happening? People that don't understand, there's a thing called Title IX in the university system, yep. NCAA program in the US. Basically, Title IX means that a university scholarships must be split evenly between men and women. Um, but what happens is the men play football and these football teams seem to have about a hundred people on it. I don't know. You can probably tell me. <laughs> so the football program seem to take all the scholarship because they got the most TV coverage and everything else. And it's, it's the best advertising for the universities. Um, but does it look like, you know, NCAA programs might happen for the men in the future? Yeah. I, I mean, I think so. It might be you know once again maybe eight to 12 years away i i certainly hope so it, it's certainly like you said you know that the schools have to balance their numbers to, to kind of simply put it and you know if you're going to have a big roster for football big roster you know for baseball that type of thing and that's where if you take a look at you know whether it's pac 12 or whatever conference and you look at those schools and you look at the sports they have you know, you'll see, you know, in some cases, you'll see maybe only seven or 18 sports for the men and almost like 12 or 13 for the woman. And they're trying to balance out those numbers. Um, you know, some schools, I mean, I, I know, unfortunately, just recently, um, Stanford did cut some programs, but I think they were running almost like 36 programs, you know, and I, I know, like Michigan, you know, they, they've another school that, 
does incredibly well at, at a lot of different sports. So, um, you know, that, that, that all kind of, I guess, factors in, um, you know, a little bit with that. And, 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 and that's my understanding. I kind of came in a little naive as well, where I was just like, oh yeah, why don't they add triathlon's the greatest sport ever. And then they're like, well, you know, the <laughs> title nine numbers are actually okay. And they don't need that another woman's sport. And you're like, oh, okay, that's too bad. You know? So that's, what's kind of going on a little bit there. Um, then obviously now with COVID, I think budget's a, a little different, but I think you know, we had a really big announcement um, last January with um, TCU. So that that was another Texas Christian University. They were one of the ones that came and visited us, and we gave them the whole tour and everything. And and they were like, "Oh yeah, we want to add." So they're they're still going to add. I think they've just delayed their start right now by probably about a year. But that's that's really good news for for us because it's another very big school. Um, they, you know, they made it pretty clear that they want to be competitive. You know, immediately and. Um, and you know, and that's, and that's a good thing. So, you know, I, I think we're really seeing some, some really good growth there and, uh, and you're right. You know, I think every school is going to be a little different and, you know, in terms of, you know, probably in, in, even in terms of how they run their department, their athletic department, you know, and in our case, uh, like a lot of the schools, um, you know, whether, you know, some people are like, oh yeah, you know, it's all football, but it's like, you know, end of the day, football is where the revenue is coming from. Absolutely. You know, it makes sense. Yeah, of course. Right? You know, you have to kind of think a little bit about that and be like, hey, you know, I mean, I think my sport's the greatest sport in the world, but I also know, <laughs> you know, when we had a thousand spectators out last year, you were like, hey, that's awesome, you know, but at the same time, you know, no, no one's paying for tickets for Tribe. <laughs> no, and, and the thing is, you get the football stadiums, you get all the television rights, and and for people that don't know the American culture, it is the for most people over here. It seems, and maybe I'm wrong again, but it seems most people like the college football even more than the professional football, and uh, so it is a huge draw card for a school. Um, I mean, look, I think the American men in triathlon are just knocking at the door. And it's like I said to Hunter Kemper, but we feel like they've always just been knocking on the door, you know, and uh, and that's not to say, um, what's his name, a young guy, Pearson. I think he just got top 10 at the World Championships. Yeah. Uh, incredible athletes, Matthew McElroy coming. There's incredible ability there that they're almost – Almost there, and uh, and that's the only reason I bring up. You know, the program is it going to be a program for the men here? Because I I do think the the U.S. men as a whole, there's a tremendous amount of talent yeah. in the country. It's just a matter of drawing them into the sport of triathlon and having them not go and do a single sport for four years and then coming out and thinking they're going to be able to play. I think that's a very difficult way of doing it. Um, you know, one you know um, yeah. that you. Not many people know probably, but we, we do have a little joint project down here at ASU, which is called Project Podium. That is a partnership with USA Triathlon. I did hear about that. Matt Reed was involved with that for a while, I think, maybe. Who was that? Sorry? Matt Reed. Well, he was coaching down yeah, there, wasn't yeah, he, for a little bit? Got him yeah. on, uh, as, as an assistant coach for, for a little bit. But um, yeah, yeah, you know, so so we had hired a coach. I was part of that process. I, I guess I, I do have the title of director of Project Podium down here, but you know, we, we uh, Parker Spencer is a young coach that's been uh, with that program now for the last, I guess, two years. And you know, they've got some, you know, like you said, there's some talented, some of the best uh, young men that the country has to offer with uh, Austin Hinman and and Dar Smith and and a lot of these guys and Chase McQueen, and um, you know, it's been cool to see that you know, kind of take off and develop. Um, they've been doing, you know, pretty good. But I, I think, 
the big thing with that too, it's been nice for me because I'm, I'm able to, you know, kind of mentor Parker a little bit, give him a lot of my insight on, on development. And, and I think, you know, there are obviously a lot of times when you are doing a program as part of Federation, there's, there's a lot of eyes on you and a lot of pressure on you. And so mm-hmm. I try to help him a little with that too. And I think they've got the right mindset that, you know, people will probably immediately expect results, but at the same time, we all know, you know, there's no such thing as overnight successes, um and so except for the 20 years that people don't see beforehand yeah, exactly. Right, exactly. <laughs> Ivan, oh, where's he been he's coming from nowhere drugs what is he yeah actually he's been training <laughs> his butt off for 20 years no absolutely I know. you know so they're putting in the work and i and i really honestly think it's going to pay per, much more 2024 and 2028 and so we have that going and i know that the model i think usat is kind of hoping to maybe put that in place to a few other schools down the road so i think you know that's 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 a good initiative on their part and is are they doing are they at the university are they studying at the university as well exactly you know it, oh they are yeah great so yeah, they, yeah. they've worked part of our deal is that we've got them on with uh, the online programs here and so um they're able to kind of offer the scholarships to you know the, the 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 men that are coming into this program and that's you know one of the main goals is to kind of really hit that age. Um, I think they have Drew Schellenberger, who's one of the top juniors in the country, is going to be joining the team, you know, shortly as uh, this semester as well. And, you know, it's it's really kind of, while they were going to go to college, they can actually still go to college and actually be doing their sport, you know? So that, that's that, fantastic. Yeah. That's music to my ears. Yeah. I can't, yeah. I can't tell you how many times I've, I feel like I've had these conversations with the 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 people the wonderful people at USA Triathlon. Um, actually, at one point I was looking at, at doing uh, the head coaching job. I think shortly after you you left, and then they were interviewing me, and I said, "Look, well, <laughs> I, a couple of things. One, I think there's too many cooks in the kitchen. Yeah, I want to do it my way, and I don't want to have to answer to anybody. <laughs> and and then I, I, I said, uh, the other thing is that these, these athletes have to have to race." And then finally, we got to make sure. Let me talk to the parents. We need to figure out how to get these guys leaving, you know, high school to stay in the sport. We can't afford to let you go do four years single sport. You know, even when I had Hunter, Hunter Kemper on, he went through doing four years of running with the mindset he always wanted to be a triathlete. But it still hurt him to have that four years while I was off racing World Cups and, you know, the French Grand Prix and racing for Czech teams and racing in Australia. I was racing 30 to 35 times a year, back-to-back seasons. Um, you're going to be four years behind. And, uh, and and I think that's the one thing when I look at the US men, they don't get to race as much. There's not as much racing in the US at the moment compared to the Europeans and the, particularly the French. Um, and, and it's like, got to get them racing <laughs> and, yeah. and staying in the sport so no you're right uh, so that's great difference too between racing in the u.s and when you go abroad to europe especially like the level difference right and so that's one of the things to kind of touch on i think a little part b of one of your earlier questions with the team of uh women that have at asu we do have our fall collegiate season so it's pretty much the same as cross country and we have you know about three events that we go to for qualifiers and then we have our national champs We've actually hosted the national champs here for the last three years in Tempe, right at Tempe Town Lake. And that's actually been amazing. You know, we, we've got a great team that's done an exceptional job to put on this race. And, uh, you know, we always kind of had that whole idea like we wanted to to kind of have that World Cup look and then really elevate the sport all around and putting on a quality event will really help in that in that regard, too. And so we, we have a challenging course, too, and that's been good. And then one of the other things that also kind of helps me with my recruiting 
is in that spring segment, we don't actually have a collegiate circuit. So we're able to, you know, what we call um, count races. So we're able to pay for races, able to travel with the team. And so that's where I target all the, you know, the Florida Conti Cups that we have out there. Um, you know, what's really cool, some of the little stats mm-hmm. we have even, you know, in the five years that we've had a team, we've only had maybe one or two of the women on a team that actually came with a USAT elite card. And in that period, we've gotten almost, I think, the entire team to have an elite card. And, you know, remember even last year and even a year before, we had one, I think it was maybe two years ago in Claremont, we had six girls in the top 15. And Nick, we're training, you know, 16, 17 hours a week, you know, that are girls that were, you know, are out there are full-time professionals that are, you know, in many cases, six to eight years older. And, you know, it's, it's, I'm just so proud of this team, you know, to a certain degree. And it really shows like, you know, the progress that they've made and, you know, we're really kind of taking off those markers along the way to reaching that potential. Right. And then uh, what I love about that, you know, you got Claremont offers, you know, Conti cup, then they also have what the USAT put in with the, um, EDR race, which is like an elite development draft legal race. And that's how you can actually get your pro card. And then the Sarasota race, you know, once again, a really high level Conti Cup um, in March that also has a high level junior elite race, which is typically some of your freshmen are still going to be able to do that. So these races have been fantastic for us. So we basically would just go and stay as a team and train in between the two and get them, you know, their world rankings, get them their cards. And, you know, it's, it's definitely... A lot of them then will, once they hit exams and finish exams in early May, then they'll have that whole season where they're doing Conti and maybe even making that next move to a World Cup. And so for me, it really works in that to that master plan of how I'm developing each and every one of them, right? So mm. getting that experience and then when they, you know, leave, they either go home or sometimes they go to maybe, you know, a national team. Um, and in many cases, a lot of them I still actually coach. And so we're able to kind of guide them along, you know, through the summertime as they're, you know, going and racing. And, and another thing that I've always done from the very beginning is, uh, you know, we typically have one, two, or even sometimes three of the women that are coming, you know, in the fall to us that have qualified for worlds. And obviously that's a really good thing, right? So, you know, it's one of those where, um, you know, we, we totally work that. I have enough people on the roster where if we usually have our, our first competition in the year falls right around Labor Day weekend, which usually is traditionally where the ITU worlds would normally be, you know, we always, if we have a couple going, we're like, Hey, not a problem. Don't worry about it. Like, you know, we've, we'll field a full team to, to, to the race here domestically. And then you guys perform there, you come back and then we'll let you acclimatize and get back into a good training block. And we'll have you race later in the season. And, you know, these are, you know, just the kind of typical conversations that you have with your athlete, right? Yeah. Like, hey, well, how's it going, mate. I I think this has been phenomenal because I, I think, firstly, I want to congratulate you because I think you coming over to the NCAA triathlon program as a whole give it a lot of respect. Having Cliff English, world champion coach, say, "Hey, I support this NCAA program." Then obviously Arizona State having you um, be their head coach, I think they're incredibly fortunate. Um, I think they've got the right man for the job, and and I and uh, I love where the, your heads with all of that, um, mate. It's it's been it's been so long since we've caught up. I've enjoyed just just this chat and and hearing what you're up to and and um, your thoughts on coaching and triathlon as a whole. You're obviously still very passionate about it. How can people get in touch with you if they want to? 
have some advice on coaching or if there's any young student athletes that are interested in, hey, <laughs> I got to get in, in his program, how do they reach out to you? So for the student athletes, like the potential recruits, they could literally just go to the ASU Sun Devils Athletics uh, website. And that's pretty easy. We have a whole section up there and it, you just click on it. We've that what's been cool about COVID time, you know, we were able to do a little more work. So we've really added uh, a lot of material for recruiting up there. So there's standards, there's actually a video. Uh, what was really interesting this period too, the NCA has made it a, a dead period. So you're not allowed to, to actually travel to recruit and you're not allowed to actually have any on-campus visits. Um, oh. So I immediately was like, hey, well, we just got to go around a video camera and just, you know, with the GoPro and just video all this. And so we've actually got this little virtual tour that we put together. And so when we're recruiting and doing calls on Zoom and that, we just, you know, a lot of times we'll bring that up and just kind of, you know, take them through what they're seeing and what a day looks like when you're on campus as an athlete here at ASU. So um, that is where they can get a lot of information for ASU. And that's all up there. Um, for me in terms of coaching, like I still got my cliffenglishcoaching.com website up there, although I don't think there's been any new content on there in a while, but, um, I certainly, uh, my email cliff at cliffenglishcoaching.com is an easy way to reach me. Um, a lot of people also do it through social media and that type of thing. I think you can find me on Instagram and Facebook and all those things, but, um, yeah, I'm, I'm, Brilliant, like, I still get people that you know, we'll write questions or, and I, I love helping out. I mean, that's just something I think, um, you know, I, I, I just do, uh, regardless of whether, you know, you're getting a monetary incentive or not. Like I, I just love helping athletes and I'll probably do that for the rest of my life. And, and, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's just, you know, it's just, it's, yeah, it's just one of the uh, helping someone and, and hearing that back. I mean, I think you and even, you know, hearing you, you know, it's, it's all, you never get tired of that. I know I have some coach friends and we always say, man, you know, you don't get enough thank yous as coaches. And it's, it's, it's always great to, you know, to get a little praise because, you know, and, and, you know, even at ASU, I actually won coach of the year award amongst at ASU and the, the outpouring of, of all the coaches, you know, even from, you know, legends like Bobby Hurley, you're like, Oh my God, you know, he just sent me a text saying congrats coach. And it's pretty cool. You know, it never gets old and it just motivates right. you and it keeps you loving what you're doing, man. That's awesome, buddy. Well, thank you so much for joining me. Cliff, I really appreciate this, buddy, and it's uh, it's been a real pleasure to hear you talk with such passion. Um, and I'll have all of those details in the show notes. Um, so for those listening, uh, you can go to bennettendurance.com forward slash media and you can find the show notes and the, the sponsors coupon links and all of those things there, mate. But thanks again, buddy. Really appreciate it. Thank you so much, Jake. My pleasure, man. All right. Stay on the line, buddy. Right. Cheers. Thanks a lot for listening to Be With Champions. If you enjoyed the show, your support would truly be appreciated. You can visit the Be With Champions Patreon page or you can subscribe with your podcast app of choice. Don't miss the next episode, so subscribe and be notified. For show notes, if you want to know more, please visit bennettendurance.com. I'm Phil Liggett, and on behalf of Greg Bennett, here's to the next time, and I hope you will join Greg again very soon.